church, we are really blessed to have Carl Fays coming to share with us this morning. Jane, why don't you come up as well, actually, with Carl? Um, and Carl and Jane and the Olive Tree Media team have just released a new series called Faith Runs Deep. And we are super blessed to have them here to um, be able to help be part of the launch of this series right across Australia. Um, this series, they actually got an iconic Holden Ute and they've travelled around Australia capturing faith stories from our nation. And I love this because our heart as a church is actually to see the Spirit of God move across our nation. And I've had the privilege of watching a few of the, the, um, the series, um, different episodes of that, and it's so inspiring to see these stories. And once again, you've done a brilliant job putting it all together. And um, Jane, I know you're a big part of that as well as creative director behind all of this. But Carl, we've got some resources here as well. Do you want to just tell about that? And then I'm going to pray a blessing over this whole series, in fact, for both of you. So, but do tell us about the resources available today. Uh, by the way, it, it's just fantastic to be here. And uh, thank you, Nathan, and the opportunity to be launching this series here in Queensland. We just were singing that uh, wonderful picture of glory and heaven and uh, and I said in the first service, you know, a touch of heaven this morning, uh, standing with the heroes of faith, standing worshipping uh, next to Peter Sweetman. There's, there's the hero of faith, eh? And as you can imagine, he's just, he's just loving that. Uh, and it's, it's just great. So we, we, we have created uh, a series that you can use in all sorts of different ways. One of the things we've done is a streaming platform, which is quite new from when you would have done, uh, when you did Jesus the Game Changer. Now, this is why we gave this to you. Uh, the move from physical product like a DVD to a streaming platform is a bit of a step. And this is supposed to be, this is kind of, we didn't call it this, but streaming platform for dummies, because uh, it's designed for me. Uh, so if, if, this is, if this is helpful, but we, um, we also do have a DVD. Anybody, you remember a DVD, remember these? And, <laughs> and uh, Kurong, we talked to Kurong and they said people still use DVDs. So we do have them on as DVD. There's a study guide, but also there's this book, which is the anthology. Jane's work, every photo in the book is Jane's uh, photo. And uh, it's, it's 24 stories out of the series written up for you to read. And um, I'm gonna come back to this, but this is a little, I'll explain what I mean by this. But this is a little fortress of memory for our churches, our families, and our nation. And both the series and the book is a fortress of memory. I'll come back to that. But uh, there's a study guide as well. There's all, all of this is just designed to make it as easy as possible for you to watch, discuss and share with other people. So it's just fantastic to be able to, to launch it here with you guys this morning. So we want to pray for this resource and, um, and want to give thanks for the availability of it to be able to share. Um, we're looking forward as a church to being able to be involved in this as well. But why don't we pray together? And then Carl's going to share. Let's pray. Yeah, Lord, we want to thank you uh, for these resources. Thanks for all the time and effort and energy, the gifts and skills, Lord, that have been put together. Uh, and Lord, these stories of faith for our nation, Lord, which, which encourage us, inspire us, and remind us, Lord, of the things you've done in the past and fill us with faith for the future, Lord. Do it again, we pray, Lord God. Move by your Spirit across our nation. We need you, great God. And beyond this nation to the world, we pray. So, Lord, I pray for Carl and Jane, Lord, and the Olive Tree Media team. Bless them. We pray. Continue to open up many opportunities for them, both here and beyond, Lord, we pray. Um, continue just to provide everything they need as they seek to minister in this way, resourcing your church, resourcing your kingdom, we pray. So bless this series. May there be lots and lots of stories of lives impacted and transformed through it, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. Can we encourage these guys again? Thank you, Jane. 
And we're going to go to the screens. Let's check out the trailer for this series right now. Let's go to the screens. Stories matter. Stories are important. They tell us where we've come from. They remind us about what is valuable. They help clarify our future. I think faith was here a long, long time ago. God established himself here in this nation. Any of us were here. And that faith existed and exists today. Thought. I don't care what it costs me, I'm going to see what these guys have got that I haven't got. For the first time in my life, I met a, uh, a priest who had a social conscience, and suddenly it was as if I saw for the first time, this is what Jesus is like. He'd written a letter to his dad at 21, said, you know, Dad, if the gospel of Jesus is the real thing, uh, we need to find a way of expressing it to the people of the bush. It's no good building churches out here. They need hospitals. I went to church with my new friend Lisa and I heard the gospel. I heard about Jesus. So I prayed right there on the street and no word of a lie, right bench over there. I asked Jesus into my heart and in the instant I started weeping and crying. And it was like, you know what, I became that little boy again that just wanted that father and it's like my father in heaven came down and just said son it's all gonna be all right in faith runs deep we unearth the stories of faith that have helped shape australia join us as we drive across australia in an iconic or the stories at the heart of our culture and see how the followers of jesus have influenced australia we will discover stories of faith from history and today of people with deep personal faith who have profoundly shaped this nation. Australia lives off Christian capital to this day. The very first words of our constitution, you know, humbly trusting in almighty God, it is woven into the very fabric of who we are as a country. Billy, Billy said he'd never come across spiritual hunger like it in Australia. You can tell thousands of stories of people who, you know, had their whole life transformed and, and started new lineages of faith in Australia. That's the consequence of meeting Jesus, is that you want to do what he did. You want to be his instrument, if you will, for, for good in the world. I believe when it comes to faith in this nation, uh, th there's an opportunity, a, a great hope that we're not dealing with a group of people who hate Christianity or hate God. We're actually dealing with people who don't understand Christianity, who don't understand who Jesus is and what he's done. For me, I think for faith to run deep in Australia, it starts in families. They changed the lives of dozens and dozens of kids who had no other opportunity and almost nobody knows. That's, that's a remarkable thing.
One day I heard this thump and there was a tree by the back and it just over and it didn't pull a root down, it rotted out right underneath. Thing that I don't think we want to see happen to our culture because the, the deep roots of Christianity are they're really critical for the health of, uh, of the nation. Join us on this journey. We discover where faith runs deep in Australia. Thank you. I love launching the series because every time we launch the series, I watch the trailer and I get to see it again. And uh, the computer was having trouble catching up. We got a bit more bass in it so I could hear the uh, V8 ute. I was complaining to the sound guys in the first service. I couldn't hear enough V8 ute, uh, which says something about the shallowness of my character. Uh, but uh, look, it's, it, did you notice in the trailer, if you, if you picked it up, the words where I said, stories matter. And I wanted to start by talking about that a little because stories are actually really important for all of us. You know, when you get together as, your fam- as a family, as a group of friends, when you're hanging out at the coffee shop or the pub, wherever you get together, you don't tend to philosophize about every issue in life unless you're a much brighter person than I am, which you may do. What do you do? Well, you tend to tell stories, don't you? What happened last week? What happened last year? If you get together with families at Christmas, at Mother's Day, Father's Day, you often tell the same stories that you've been telling for years. And and everybody knows that you've been telling the same story and nobody much complains except the grandchildren are seriously sick of them. But why, why do you tell stories? Because they actually contain values. You think about that. The stories that you choose to tell, actually they're not just information about something that happened. They're information about what's important. They're information about values that you carry. And the stories that you tell as an individual, as a family, as a church community, and to be frank, as a nation, helps form us as to who we are as a group of people. Stories create a narrative. Narrative creates a culture. And that is really true. Uh, I'm reading a book by a guy called Rod Dreyer at the moment. It, 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 this, this particular point was not really the key point of his book. It's called Live Not By Lies. But he made the point about what happened in the Czech Republic under the Soviet Union and what happened in, in Poland, specifically under the Nazis. And when, Poland, when the Nazis came into Poland, they didn't just uh, rule, rule it as a, as, as a military power. And what Dreyer says, what they, they were not just trying to take over Poland, they were trying to expunge what it meant to be Polish. And how do you do that? Will you take away their stories? The stories of faith, the stories of culture, the stories that were incredibly important to the Polish people who made them what they were as Polish people. Those stories that you keep retelling actually builds the culture. And what Dreyer said that there was a few people, one particular academic and his whole family around him, what were they trying to do? They started getting together and telling the stories, the stories of their culture, the stories of their faith. And what he said, what were they trying to do? They were trying to create fortresses of memory. I want you to make that a fortress in your mind, the idea of fortress of memory. When you gather with your family and you tell the stories of your family, you're creating a fortress of memory. You know, when the, uh, the, uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, not the Lord's Supper, when, it, when the Passover feast, which became the Lord's Supper that we celebrated today, that 
was created. Jesus created that out of the Passover feast. The Passover feast is still celebrated every, every year by Jewish people across the globe. And there's actually a well, well-worked process in that. It's not like our Christmas gatherings where we just get together and make it up as we go. They have 15 steps that they go through. And in those 15 steps, there's, there's meals, there's very specific meals that you eat. And all of it is about retelling the story. And at one stage, there's a moment where the youngest person in the room asks four questions. Now, the interesting thing is I looked it up and every time I, I looked it up, there were five questions, but it's called four questions. <laughs> but essentially, what were they doing? The questions are about what happened. What were the plagues? What were, the, what were they doing? What happened in the first Passover? The first pass, this, this feast, this celebration, this gathering is not just a kind of religious occasion to mark a moment. It is a fortress of memory. It is putting into the youngest people in that room, here's what we are. Here's who we are as a people. What are the stories people in our nation are telling about the Christian church today? What are the stories that run in our press on a regular basis over the last 20 years about what the Christian church do? What are the stories that you hear that are creating a narrative about who we are as a group of people? And most of us know they're not great stories. And this last week, the, uh, the census results have been released. Christian faith, those who identify in Australia as Australians as Christians has dropped from, 40, uh, from 61% down, uh, down, or actually from 53% down to 44%. Those who tick a no religion box have jumped up to 39%. And, and there's a, a narrative developed around that. Now, any of us that have been doing research on belief in Australia know that those numbers have been true for years. This is not new. We've known that that, that number is actually, uh, the census is just catching up with what we know is the case. But here's this, the church is dying. That's a story that's been told. Church attendance isn't actually dying. Church attendance hasn't changed for the last 15 years. It still sits at 15 to 16%. And that more figures released on that. But that's not the story that's being told. What we're trying to do in this series is unearth stories of faith to remind people of the stories that have created our nation. This series and this book is a small fortress of memory to tell people what created Australia as a nation. And the interesting thing is there's this, this push, and we, we talked about this in Jesus the Game Changer in the Western world. And in, in Australia, there's this notion that we're a great nation and oh, we've got to put up with the church. You know, they just annoy us on the edges of our society. And yet, if we look at, if we uncover the stories of faith in our nation, we'll recognise that it's always been there. Christian faith has always been there right from the very beginning of the formation of Australia. Now, I want to talk to this morning about some of the things that we uncovered, some that you'll know, some that you don't know. And all this is is a taste of what is in the series. One of the things that we, you discover is that faith was here right from the very, very beginning. In fact, you might have noticed that there was a, an Indigenous leader, uh, Sandra Nubis, comes from the Tweed, uh, Tweed Hedge just down the road from here. She and her husband, Willie, run a church and, a, and which is predominantly Indigenous people. She actually made this point. Faith has been in this nation for thousands of years, way before Europeans ever turned up. 
Now, some of you will be a little nervous about that. Theologically, you'll be a bit nervous. But keep in mind that in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the, the writer of the Ecclesiastes actually said this, that God has placed eternity in the hearts of humanity. And, and our, our longing after God, our longing after the eternal, our longing after that, the, the, the deeper meanings of life, the indigenous of our nation have always been doing that. And what, what the first fleet brought was the message, as Sandra says in the series, the message of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that that longing, that spirituality, that faith wasn't there. In fact, it, Paul even talks about this in, in Romans chapter 1. Because there's always a question, what about all the people that haven't heard? What, what does God do with those people? And, and Paul actually answers that question when he says this, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people, everybody is without excuse. In other words, what's Paul saying is the indigenous people of our nation actually saw the goodness, the glory and the greatness of God in the world that was around them and they responded to that. But what also happened when the first fleet came, that God was here, faith was here, Christian faith was here from the day the first fleet landed in this nation. So most of, some of you will know, I was gonna say most of you, that's probably a bit generous. Some of you will know that on the first fleet was a guy called Richard Johnson. Now Richard Johnson was a relatively young man in his 20s. He came out here as the chaplain on the first fleet. And some of you will be thinking, well, you know, he got a gig as, with the government, uh, uh, working with the government as a religious figure on the first fleet, took, took a good job. Mind you, it wasn't a very alluring position, was it? Why don't you uh, join the first fleet, take six months across the globe of a fleet of 11 boats full of criminals, and when you get there, there'll be nothing. So what's the accommodation like for me when I get there? Well, you'll need to build it. Uh, like, it was a dreadful job. Why would Richard Johnson go? Well, the reason Richard Johnson was on the First Fleet, and this is really important, was because he was recruited by two of the greats of Christianity in England at the time. He was recruited by William Wilberforce and John Newton. Most of you will know William Wilberforce as the guy who led the abolition of the slave trade across the Western world or the, certainly the Commonwealth nations of the UK. But Wilberforce, they were not keen on the first fleet going, thought that was a dreadful idea. William Wilberforce goes to William Pitt and says, if you're going to send these people to the other side of the world, we want a representative of the gospel of Jesus on those boats. And John Newton, for those of you who don't know John Newton, his background was he was actually a slave trader. He captained slave ships. Won't go into his story, a remarkable story of conversion. Became an Anglican minister in the middle of London. In fact, became one of the leading Anglican ministers in London. The church that he pastored is still there. It's just near the Bank of England. And he, uh, he, he wrote The Amazing Grace as I keep telling people, the original one, not the one with the new hipster verse in it, but the, the original Amazing Grace. He wrote that. And he gets together with William Wilberforce and say, who do we want on the first fleet? And they say, we think Richard Johnson's the man. Why? Because he was committed to the gospel. And Richard Johnson, when they first asked him, his response was, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. I'm not going. But later, guess what he thought? What if God's in this? What if God is calling me? How can I say no? So he said to his newly, well, he was engaged. He moved his wedding forward to get married so he could join the first fleet. 
We don't even know her name, do we? What, what an amazing woman she was. And they come out to Australia and why did they come? Because they wanted to bring the gospel to this part of the world. There's so much more to that story which I won't go into. But here we have in the indigenous people of our nation who, who were terribly treated awfully by colonialisation and yet respond to Jesus at a higher rate than the rest of us. And, and, and the first fleet, there was a notion that what if we put the gospel in the first fleet? And those that followed Richard Johnson like William Cowper and Samuel Marsden and look all these names up later, fabulous missionary movements across our nation which influenced not just Australia but New Zealand and the Pacific Islands. But one of the other things that, was very, that we uncovered was the fact that in the earliest time of, of, of a Christian faith influencing our nation, there were people who understood that failure is never final. I mean, you'd hardly call it a great start, would you? Let's take the offcuts, the people that nobody wanted, the criminal class of England, and let's send them and start a new nation. It's hardly a recipe for a great outcome, is it? And yet... What you saw was in the early governors that people who recognised that these people that everybody else had deemed to be failures were good, should get the opportunity for a second chance. And one of the people that was most important in that was Lachlan Macquarie. Lachlan Macquarie in the early 19th century was the governor of New South Wales for about 12 years. Lachlan Macquarie was a Christian man as a governor. He had a fairly checkered past as a young man. He married Elizabeth, who was his wife, and they together saw themselves as followers of Jesus and on the boat on the way out studied God's word and asked this question, what does it mean to be a Christian leader in a place like a colony like New South Wales? What does it mean? And one of the key things that came out of uh, this for Lachlan Macquarie was it meant that we give people a second chance. That's what it means. It means that if God has forgiven me, if God has forgiven us, if God gives us the opportunity for a second chance, how much more should we give that to other people? Bly, who was the, the uh, governor before Lachlan Macquarie emancipated, which is a very kind of a technical word for gave freedom to prisoners or gave freedom to convicts. Bly emancipated two people. Lachlan Macquarie emancipated 1,550 people. They went on to start the Bible Society of, New South, of Australia, which was the first organisation started in Sydney. The second, which had the same people on the board, was the Bank of New South Wales. Some of them were reformed convicts. Some of them were those who were emancipated. Some of them were those who were given a second chance. We don't really know what uh, Lachlan Macquarie wrote. He didn't really write a lot. His uh, Facebook page has since apparently been deleted. Uh, we don't really kind of have his posts. So what, what we do know is what he thought by what he underlined. And John Harris, who uh, wrote a book called One Blood and we interviewed for the series, he noted that one of the things that Lachlan Macquarie in his prayer book under, underlined and wrote about right at the end of his life was a thing called the absolution. All the Reformed Anglicans here will know what the absolution is. Us Baptists, that's not something that we do a lot. I grew up an Anglican. Um, but the, the, I'm going to read the words from the, the, the period of time when Lachlan Macquarie would have been reading this absolution. And these words were really important to Lachlan Macquarie. The absolution is my, Almighty God, this is in Old English, 
the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who desires not the death of a sinner, but rather that he may turn from his wickedness and live, he pardon and absolve us all of them that truly repent. That meant a lot to Lachlan Macquarie, and he wanted to extend that to all those who are in the, quality, in the colony as much as he possibly could, because failure is not final. Failure is not the end of your life. Disappointing people, disappointing yourself and disappointing God doesn't mean that you are a disappointment forever. It's a moment in time. There's an opportunity to be redeemed, renewed, a fresh start. You know, one of the cultures, one of the key foundational cultures of Australia is that we, we give people a fair go, don't we? There's that notion of we're, we're all in this together, we give people a fair go, we give people a second chance. It's not too much of a stretch to say back in the, 19, the beginning of the 19th century that Lachlan Macquarie set that culture. A fair go, a second chance, a fresh start, dom- informed by his Christian faith. But not only that, what we uncovered was that failure is not final, but winning doesn't give you everything you want either. And that's, we, we kind of know that as a philosophical idea, but it's there in our nation as well. One of the things that we cover in, the, in, this, in this series, and you've, you've got to watch parts of the story, there's a, one of the episodes is called That Other Religion. And that other religion is sport. And uh, we cover a, bunch of, a whole bunch of people, including Eloise Wellings, who I think won the uh, half marathon uh, yesterday in uh, the Gold Coast. Uh, great Australian Olympian. And Eloise Wellings, we interview her as a number of others. But one of the stories that we tell is Jane, my wife, who you met before, Jane's great-grandfather. Now, Jane's great-grandfather's name was Edward Trickett. Now, most of you are going, that's nice. Some of you may know that name. Uh, Ned Trickett, Edward Trickett, Ned Trickett went to England in 1876 and raced sculling on the, te- the Putney to Mortlake ca- the course on the Thames and won the World Championship of Sculling. And he was the first Australian sporting world champion in any sport. First Australian to ever win a world championship in any sport. The interesting thing about Ned Trickett, now the, the English were probably not happy that an Australian beat their champion. Guess what they didn't really know? Is that Ned Trickett's father, George Trickett, Jane's great-great-grandfather, came to Australia as a convict. And he came to Australia as a convict. After 14 years, he was given emancipation. He started a rock quarry in Woolwich in Sydney. If you know Woolwich in Sydney, the family are just most upset that he didn't keep the land. Oh, he's seriously wealthy. So I was on the, on the other side of the, the, uh, the harbour and he started this rock quarry. If you know Sydney at all, the opera house around to Mrs Macquarie's Point where the botanical gardens is, there's a sandstone wall around there. Those, most of those, a lot of those rocks came from George Trickett's um, quarry. And rowing the rocks across the harbour was his four sons and the youngest was very good at rowing. And Punch, who owned a hotel, a pub, in, the, in Pitt Street in Sydney, sponsored Ned Trickett to go to England. When he came back to Australia, he was seriously a rock star. 30,000 people met him at Circular Quay when he arrived back. Now, on, on uh, percentage of population, that crowd has probably never been beaten in Australia's history ever. 
everybody turned out. His face was on, on lampposts. He was huge, just the biggest name in the colony. Ned Trigger's life moved on in the sense he went to Rockhampton, started a pub. There was a financial decline in the late 19th century, lost all his money, came back to Sydney, and in, in, the, in, in that period of time had nine kids, no money, no opportunity, destitute. And he's walking the streets of Sydney, totally depressed, thought about jumping off the back of a ferry, just broken. And he's sitting on the, the gutter in the middle of Sydney, and he hears a gathering just near him. And the gathering was a guy called uh, E.P. Field was speaking. And E.P. Field is a barrister from Sydney. And E.P. Field was an open-air campa campaigner telling the message of Jesus. And, and Trickett went back to E.P. Field's rooms and accepted Jesus into his life personally. And he spent the rest of his life as a Salvation Army officer serving Jesus. The interesting thing is, there's a guy called uh, Reverend O'Nee who wrote a little tract about Trickett's life. And he said this about Trickett. This is, this is about the leaflets. Leaflets were written about Trickett in the, in, the 1980s, in the 1890s, which said that as a Christian, he was a better man in every way and happier than when he was a champion oarsman of the world. My wife's great-grandfather. Winning doesn't deliver everything you need. My Facebook memory today was filming uh, uh, Tim Kelly. So today, last year, we were filming Tim Kelly at Kingaroy. You've all heard of Kingaroy. You may not know Tim Kelly. Tim Kelly was the guy on the trailer with the hat and uh, in front of the bulls. Tim Kelly in the 1970s won the Calgary Stampede under 23s World Championships of Saddlebrock Riding. That is huge. In the rodeo industry, that's as, that's as big as you can get. Came back to Australia and again, he was a huge success in, uh, in both bull riding and saddle bronc riding. He would go to these events, he would often win or do incredibly well and then would drink himself stupid. That's exactly what he told us that he would do. There was a million dollar radio came to Sydney and Melbourne and he was in it. And he would go to Sydney and he, would go, he was going to Melbourne. But what he noticed that there was a bunch of Americans that were coming who were part of the rodeo kind of circuit in America, but rather going out drinking like everybody else did, they would go to a, a kind of a hall that was nearby. And then it, Tim Kelly actually said on the trailer, that piece, piece on the trailer, where he said, I don't know what these guys have, but I'm going to go and find out because what they've got, I want. He was winning. He was successful. He was doing everything that the kind of Australian male does, go out and have a party and have a great time, but he was miserable. And he goes to the room and well, guess what he discovers? They're followers of Jesus and they'd found faith in Christ. And that changed his life. So that winning for Tim was never enough. And what, what Tim has discovered is what Paul writes to the church in, in, in uh, uh, Ephesus. So in, in the church, he writes to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter two, he says, all of us were dead in our sins. Now, when Paul says dead in our sins, it doesn't mean they were as bad as we can get. It doesn't mean everybody's just awful, awful, awful. Dead is a technical term, which means you can't respond. Now, I, I'm no doctor, but if, if there's no response, if no, there isn't any response, no breath, no heartbeat, you're done. Here's what Paul is saying, spiritually, that's where we all are. There's no breath. There's no heartbeat. There's no way we can respond to God. 
And what does Tim Kelly discover? What does Ned Trickett discover? What does Lachlan Macquarie discover? What do all these people discover? That it is by grace you are saved through faith. And what that does for us is that it's transformational. One of the weaknesses when we're trying to, one of the weaknesses for church leaders, I think across Western world, in, because we're pushed to the margins and because people see us we're religious and irrelevant, people try really hard to make it kind of relevant for people. And the way they make it relevant is to say, look, if you follow Jesus, it's going to change your life and you're going to do much better. Now, that's, that's true. We know that's true. But it's not the essence of the gospel. It's almost like the gospel is this, the best personal development program that you can join is become a Christian. It's almost like the 12 steps to a great life. Now, that's half true, but it's not the whole truth. N.T. Wright actually talks about the fact that people talk about the gospel as good advice. N.T. Wright says the gospel is not good advice, it's good news. It's not about how you should live, it's about something that has happened. It's not about being a better person, it's about being a renewed person. And that's the gospel message. What we celebrated around communion was what? That Jesus died, Jesus gave his life fully, completely and voluntarily so that we, could, that we don't have to die. And Jesus' resurrection news, not advice, was that something has changed, something is new. And when we join that process, God changes our life and transforms our life. Tony Huang was the guy that uh, looked Asian, who was in a spot that looked sort of Asian in, in, the, in, the, uh, episode, in the trailer there. Tony Huang's story is that his parents came out to Australia as Vietnamese refugees on a boat with about 80 other people. They arrived in Australia, ended up in Cabramatta. Tony was born in Australia, but his parents were both Vietnamese refugees. His dad never learned to speak English. Tony never learnt to speak Vietnamese. The communication within the family was less than ideal. Uh, as with most immigrants, you know, uh, and you will know many people like this, they come out here and they work harder than anybody else because that's the only opportunity. And so his dad would work really hard, long, long hours. They couldn't communicate and then he would, his dad would come home often drink too much and was violent. That was his upbringing. So when he's growing up, he's looking for a place to belong. He's looking for people to belong to. And he drifts towards the gangs in Cabramatta. And at that period of time, Cabramatta was the drug capital of, of Sydney, probably New South Wales. And if you wanted to get heroin, you caught a train to Cabramatta. And before you actually got off the walkway onto the road at Cabramatta, there were people like Tony at 14 selling you heroin. There was one day he was caught by an uh, off-duty policeman. He was jailed uh, for selling heroin. He's, he, he's off in jail, comes out of jail. Was he reformed? Nope. All it meant, he was more focused. He would get his, his uh, friends to sign up leases. He had houses. And he, he was now running gangs selling drugs. But what happened is Tony got older, his friends started being shot and killed, friends dying of drug overdoses. He overdosed a couple of times himself because he's using drugs and he's absolutely miserable and desperate. He'd had some connections with the Catholic Church in his, in his desperate state. Before he's even thinking about shooting up to end his life, he sits in this church weeping and crying, cries out to God and says, God, I need a sign. I need a help. I need, send me a sign. Do something. I need something. 
nothing happened. And he left and went home. And the next morning, so the very next morning, he's walking through Cabramatta. And at, at that spot where we filmed him, where there was the Asian gates, etc., behind us, there was a group of Christians singing and giving stuff out. And he's, he's the drug dealer in town. He's walking past. He's like, what, what on earth is this stuff? Anyway, a guy gives him a leaflet and he takes the leaflet, opens it up and it says, if you're looking for a sign, this is it. <laughs> the next day. And Tony's talking, Tony's talking to this guy and he's, he's, he said, what is this? And the guy says, Tony, God loves you. But, you know, sin stands in the way. And Tony, you need to accept Jesus to get sin out of the way and make you right with God again. And there's Tony, drug dealer, gang leader, known across the streets of Sydney. And he said, on that bench over there, and this is where we filmed him, on that bench over there, I sat down and gave my life to Jesus. And he said, that's when that little quote he says, and this is where this will make more sense to you. He says, if God came down and wrapped his arms around me, and he was my father, because that's what Tony wanted. And he said, son, it's going to be okay. Three weeks later, Tony went to a conference in Western Australia. He's hardly been a Christian for a couple of months. And, he's, and, and there's a call for people to give their lives to serve, serve God in ministry. And Tony stood up and said, God, with no education, no background, drug dealer, but if you can use me, here I am. Tony Huang runs the Potter's House Church in Cabramatta today. He has four of his own kids. He looks after two of his um, sister's kids. It's a fabulous family of six kids of a guy transformed by the power of Jesus. That is the fortress of memory. That's the story we want to undercover because this series is chock full of people who's had their lives changed by Jesus. That's what we want to unearth. That's what we want to communicate. That's the fortress of memory that we want to hold. I'm just giving you a small glimpse of just stunning materials and wonderful stories of people's lives being transformed by the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. Not transformed to be a better person or good, but a recognition that has been here from the start, a recognition that failure is never final. I'm not, I don't know you. I've been here a few times. I know some of your leadership. I don't really know you as a group of people. So because I, I don't know you, I can actually say this. There'll be people in this room who feel like a failure. Now, I, I don't say that because I know you. I, I say that because I just know humanity. I know myself. And some of you will be sitting there thinking, gee, if, if, if people knew me well, they would think I shouldn't be here. And yet this is the best place for you to be because failure is not final. Some of you are doing really well in life. You've actually hit all your goals. You've achieved what you want to achieve. And the hollowness just lives on. And perhaps you're here because you know that you need more than what you've been getting in life. Because success is not going to deliver you all you need. What all of us need is transformation, new life, new faith, new eternal destiny and it would seem crazy for me to come here and say all of this without saying is this your moment is God speaking to you is this your time because if it is don't miss it 
And I want to take a moment to pray. You're not going to have to stand up. You don't have to put out your hand. You don't have to walk forward. You don't have to do anything. But if God's speaking to you, and you know you need transformation, you know you need a fresh start, why don't you take this as your moment? I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm just going to ask you to pray in your head because you're talking to God, not me or anybody else around you. And it's an opportunity to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I really need a fresh start. And I'm doing that today. Is that you? This morning's first service, I actually chatted to a lady who I had known 25 years ago and we haven't seen each other since. She shared about the loss of her husband, which was tragic. And then she shared about the fact that even though he was a churchgoer, he drifted into alcoholism and was desperate. And towards the end of his life, he came back and was transformed by Jesus again. Being in church doesn't guarantee that everything's going to work out what you, the way you want. But I tell you what, all of us need transformation. Is this your moment? Why don't you be an attitude of prayer? It's not actually more holy to bow your head and close your eyes. It, but it helps, it helps me concentrate, so it might help you too. And in this moment of quietness, if God's speaking to you, why don't you respond in these words? Lord Jesus, I come to you today. I'm sorry for how I've lived. I'm sorry I disappointed you. I want to ask for your forgiveness. Lord, come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live what I say I believe. Jesus, we all come to you today. None of us have got it all together. We all struggle in different ways and we all need your transforming power. We want to thank you that as we look, we can unearth fabulous stories of faith in our nation. And Lord, I pray today in this moment, there'll be new stories of faith that will influence our nation in the years ahead. Amen. If you um, that message was for you and you prayed that as Carl led you in that prayer we, we've got these Bible gift packs and we'd love just to give this to you as a gift this morning in it is actually a copy of a prayer very similar to what Carl just led you in there on the card in the front there's a Bible in there some other information to help you on your journey so if you prayed that you know that was for you this morning if you came with someone just tell them hey that was for me this morning or come and talk to one of us down the front these gift packs are here just free we'd love to give it to you or in the foyer as well they're available but don't leave this morning it's one of the most important it is the most important decision you can ever make the most important prayer you can ever pray is to cry out to Jesus to come to rescue redeem you and we want to help you on that journey don't do that alone come and share with us this morning so make sure you take hold of that we're going to sing a great song as we finish declares this good news message of all that Jesus has done for us why don't we stand together as we do that proclaim this good news message sing of it allow it to work deep into our hearts and again as we respond in faith this morning let's do that together amazing love that welcomes me the kindness of mercy that bought with blood wholeheartedly 
for your great, great love for us, Lord. Too, too much for us to fully comprehend, but Lord, you've shown us so clearly through the cross, sending your only son to die for us, that we might have life eternal in you. And thank you, Lord, for the transformation this brings to our life, knowing forgiveness, knowing what it means, Lord, to be redeemed, made whole, healed in your name, Lord Jesus. And so I pray your blessing for those this morning who said yes to you, Lord. Bless them, encourage them, fill them with the joy of knowing they're in right relationship with you, God, this morning. And Lord, I pray you'd help us, Lord, to take this message to our world. We can't keep this to ourselves, Lord. Help us. We pray again for this community you've placed us in, our nation, Lord. Beyond that, our world, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Don't forget these Bible gift packs are available here. If you responded this morning, we'd love to give this to you. We'd love to chat with you. Our Connections Lounge opening up up the back there. Stay for a tea and coffee. And don't forget James, um, Steve Mahark sharing with us as well um, this afternoon tonight. God bless you. Thanks so much for sharing. And can we thank Carl and Jane one more time as well, church? It'd be great.